This passage in Galatians is one of those texts that has embedded in it a call to the world as we dream it can be. If we're dreaming a world, Paul ends this particular pericope with once we're in Christ, there's no Jew or Gentile. There's no slave or free. There's no male and female because the super identity that he believes God is calling us to is the identity that's in Christ. But we know we have not gotten to a promised land where there's no Jew and Gentile distinction, where there's no free and slave distinction, we, where there's no male and female distinction. This world operates in binaries. This world operates in binaries that sticks us into boxes and causes us to wound one another, to categorize and cast one another, to put each other in a place, in our place, that is not about freedom at all. So let me just say the text today is faith, family, freedom. And I don't usually do a three-point sermon, but I'm filling one inside myself. So here, here it comes. Here it comes. <clears throat> Paul is writing to the church at Galatia, a church becoming, a church perhaps like Middle Church right now, perhaps like the Collegiate Church right now, a church in search of identity, meaning, belonging, vision, strategic planning, budget. All of those kinds of questions are being asked in this relatively new community. And inside this new community, there, is, uh, there are two battling forces. One battling force is God has a new word, a new thing, a new identity for all of us, and you can come just as you are as you get through the door and receive that blessing, receive that gift. And that gift is in Christness. Now, to be sure, in those days, the way to sort of publicly display that you have received this gift was baptism. Before we sprinkled babies, before we did, you know, soft touches of water, the newly converted to this religion that is the religion of Christ would literally take off their clothes and jump in the water, get baptized, get out of the water, put on some clothes, stop frightening people with their bodies, and the new clothing, the new outfit symbolized the new life in Christ. The baptism was a little bit of a death and resurrection. For Paul, this was the only ritual needed. And in some way, he who is Jewish is saying the other kinds of rituals, practices, even the law that seemed to put us in right relationship with God, Paul is saying, actually, passe. Actually, not necessary. He's not, I don't think, intending to be anti-Semitic, but he is intending to be a reformer. He is trying to say, if you thought these 613 codes were going to make you free, you're wrong. Those laws, those 613 codes to keep us living well in community were a placeholder, a pedagogue, a, 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 like, a, like a nanny, so to speak. Uh, someone who would walk along with the children and make sure they got to school and got the lesson. That's what the word pedagogy comes from, one who walked with the little ones. Paul is saying this law, this law was a pedagogue to discipline us until faith came. And for Paul, faith came with Jesus. So faith. 
Faith is the thing that creates the new community, the new community that abolishes categories, the new community that disrupts caste, the new community that disrupts racism and white supremacy, the new community disrupts binary around gender, disrupts anti-queer, anti-trans uh, policies and politics. The new identity begins with Jesus, faith in Jesus. And this is Paul's twist on that. Not are you gonna stand and confess you have faith in Jesus, but do you have faith in Jesus's faith? Can I say that again? Do you have faith in the faithfulness of Jesus? Do you have faith in the faithfulness of Jesus? And the word faith there is pistis in the Greek and it really means trust. So again, do you have faith in the trust of Jesus? You see how it's not really about you or me at all? It's really about Jesus. Faith in the one who trusted God enough to do all that he was asked to do by God, including die on the cross. Now, atonement, paragraph. I don't think Jesus was bossed around by God to die on the cross. I'm not saying that. I am saying that Jesus went all the way to the edge of his humanity, his capacity to say yes to all the things that led to his death. Can you feel that? How that's different? Do we have faith that there is a rabbi named Yeshua ben Joseph, who is Mary's boy, Joseph's kid, who went all the way to the mattress to stand up for love? all the way to the edge of comfort, acceptable, all the way, all the way to the edge, even to be willing to lay down his life to do what God called him to do. That's what Paul is inviting us to, faith. Faith that there was a one who loved God enough to obey, to get jiggy with it, to do the tough things, to preach, teach, heal, to stand up against authorities, to say the hard thing, the hard truth, to call us in and out. Do we have faith in Jesus' faith? The second thing is, can we understand that we're family? He wanted the church in Galatia to understand that though they were countervailing voice for, can't say that, countervailing forces, and what they were were this, there were some Jewish people who were becoming Christian, and these Jewish people who were becoming Christian thought the Gentiles, the, the outsiders, couldn't become Christian unless they went through Judaism. They couldn't become Christian unless they went through Judaism. They couldn't become Christian unless they were circumcised. That was the big deal. I've never been circumcised, but I understand it's a big deal. <laughs> they couldn't become Christian unless they went through Judaism and the old categories and the old law and the old structures and systems, the ones that Jesus came to simplify. These one force of the teachers in Galatia was like, uh-uh, you can't come into the reign of God unless you X, Y, Z, P, Q. And Paul is saying all of those things are passe. You are family because Christ is your brother and you are wedded into, grafted onto the family of God, your family. And in the family, in the family, there's nobody with hierarchy. God, you know, 
church. <laughs> Didn't really get that, did we? No, we like hierarchy. The first church took the hierarchy that was in Judaism, the priest on top, the Levites, the helpers in the middle, and all the other people down here can't even come into the sanctuary for real. And, and, we, and we, we duplicated that, right? With the Pope and the bishops and all the things. Paul is saying, no, equal footing for all the believers, the ones who've been Jewish, the ones who are Gentiles, the ones who are rich, the ones who are poor, the ones who are slaves, the ones who are free, the ones who are women, the ones who are men, the ones who are um, outside all become inside. The little ones, the lost ones, the left out ones, the queer ones, the straight ones, the female ones, the trans ones, all of the ones are equal in this new family. And that, Paul says, point three, is what leads us to freedom. Because what he's saying is if we keep the categories of the world, we are never going to get free. If we continue to codify who's in and who's out by the standards of the world, we are never going to get free. And let's be crystal clear, on this Juneteenth, we're kind of free-ish. We're free-ish. We have so ensconced anti-black racism in this world, not just this nation, that to be adjacent to black, to be a darker Chinese, to be a darker Latinx, to be a darker indigenous person, to have kinky hair as a Jewish person, all of these physiogamanic features of blackness that get you a little bit black, get you a little bit oppressed because we are not free, we are free-ish. The church, the church has been baptized in white supremacy. And the church has not put on Christ without trying to keep on some oppression. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some, some oppression undergarments up in there, right? Some oppression spanks. Right? She says as she pops hers. Some oppression garments, which we're learning might pull us in a little bit, might make us lose a little weight, might keep our legs from hurting, might keep our veins cool. You know what the kind of garments I'm talking about. That undergarment of white supremacy that undergirds our whole culture also undergirds the church. How we work, how we think, what we think is the way to make decisions, how we do polity, how we do policy, how we share resources, how we live and breathe in the name of Jesus is still hot and stinky with what could be seen as compression garments, but are oppression garments living inside the skin of Christian folk. I have never in my life as a human being felt so clear about the ways that white supremacy, not white people, I'm married to a very nice white person, white supremacy is inside so many people of color. 
because we can't help but take it in. It, we get up in the morning and brush our teeth and we get dressed in it because it's right here, right here, on the news, in the books we read, in the media we consume, in the liturgies we practice, in the songs we sing, in what we consider to be beautiful and strong and powerful and good, it's right here. And God knows I wish I could take my clothes off right now to make a point. It might frighten you though. I think our text today is inviting us to be free of the undergarments of whiteness. Like what would happen if we let our bodies jiggle a little bit and experiment a little bit and play in the world a little bit? What would happen if we got out of the structures and queered our theology? Queered our theology, not just around LGBTQ, but yes, around LGBTQ, but also queered our theology around race and ethnicity. In other words, what would happen if we let go of the binaries that bind us? What would happen if white people owned their blackness, is what I'm trying to suggest. Since all of us are from Africa, I say all of us are from Africa, what would happen if white people in powerful positions just exegeted their own history to understand the root of who they are and queered their racial ethnic identity. Are you with me? Can you imagine the fruit of that kind of inquiry? A study that a white person would do, a white person who, not our middle white people who, who are like always talking about race, but the people who are like, I'm post-racial, or I don't see race, or those folks, or, or also kill the black people because I still think they should die, those folks. What if instead there was an inquiry, a, a journey into the self, into the soul to say, my people are the black people. In the spirit of Ubuntu, I am they and they are me and we are inextricably connected. What would happen if rather than denying quote, critical race theory, they took a deep dive into critical race theory, took their clothes off and jumped in the baptismal waters of critical race theory, if you will, so to speak, and understood how we got here so that their hearts were increased, so their minds were open, so their children would be converted to new ways of thinking. What would happen? What would happen? if white powerful institutions like the collegiate church or the Catholic church or the Episcopal church made studying race just as important as studying Jesus, who was a black man, what would happen if more congregations were like ours, where we just like look at Nina Simone's Come Ye and look at our multi-all-the-thing cast of singers. Look at our multi-all-the-things cast of gospel choir. Look at this multi-all-the-things congregation of seekers and wrestlers and triers and fall-downers and get-back-uppers trying to get to the promised land together, to freedom together, and making mistakes along the way, but definitely queering, blurring taking in each other's identity as our own, 
what would happen. I think we'd get freer faster. I think we could really change the way we talk about each other. I think we could harness enough shared multi-ethnic power to shut down white supremacist institutions like Fox News. I think we could harness our economic power to stop buying from white supremacist places like Chick-fil-A. I'm just saying, that's just one. Might even have to go to Amazon, you know, just to say. I think we could harness our theological power to build more spaces like this, where the conversation isn't just black and white, but we acknowledge it starts there, because it started there. But we would sing and speak in tongues that are indigenous and Latinx and Asian and black and white together. This is my dream. This is my calling. This is what gives me a headache at night and wakes me up in the morning looking for joy, is the way racism in America is underneath all the stuff. So what are we going to do? We got to keep coming to this community and learning for and with each other. We got to go to the polls. They open up tomorrow. We've got to study and read and learn so we know. We've got to let go of the fake hierarchy crap that binds us and instead put on Christ. I'm going to put on something. This is my collar. I don't know. It, it, it's the roots of a collar is that the clergy couldn't afford new clothes, and so they reused their collars and turned them around. No kidding. There's nothing fancy about this or holy about this. It was an economic problem. But I'm putting it on right now. Just as a symbol of putting on Christ. Can you put on something as a symbol of putting on Christ? I mean, anything. Take off your jacket, put it back on, put your mask on. Take off your spanks when you get home, put it back on. <laughs> See how easy that was also? If, if reading Paul made you think you had to do it a special kind of way, then I made a mistake. Just wake up in the morning and put on something that reminds you belong to God. Pick something, your glasses, your lipstick, your undies, your shiny shoes. Pick something that will remind you that you have been grafted into a family that is holy. And just exactly as you are, you belong to it. And God loves you and is counting on us to love each other to love the hell out of this world. May it be so. Amen. <laughs>